welcome to another episode of the Reformation Roundtable podcast. My name is Joe Stout, and this podcast is a ministry of Christ Covenant Church in Lewis County, Washington. During each episode, you will discover the sermons, exhortations, discussions, and interviews from our various weekly gatherings. Christ Covenant Church is a historically reformed and evangelical church that has been serving the greater Centralia Chehalis area since May of 2021. We meet for worship each Lord's Day to sing psalms and hymns, confess our historic faith, hear the word faithfully proclaimed, and celebrate together the Lord's Supper. Throughout the week, we go out into the world to build the kingdom of Christ right here in Lewis County. If this sounds like a vision for you, we would love to have you join us. Head on over to lewiscounty.church, that is lewiscounty.church, where you will find a calendar of events as well as current times and locations for worship. Please enjoy the following audio. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way, and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, it's my great pleasure to be here again with you and bring greetings from Reformation Covenant Church. It's always an encouragement to see this room a little more full every time I come. Um, I have been teaching Bible for a number of years, and uh, Proverbs is one of the classes that I was privileged to teach to middle schoolers um, for three years of the last five years, I taught Proverbs, but I've also taught it to church youths and to my own children, and uh, the words of Lady Wisdom 
In Proverbs 1, I have found to be particularly useful. It was Ted Tripp, 20 years ago, who opened my eyes to see the richness of Proverbs 1 through 9 for parenting, with its appeals, the earnestness, the rich images, and the reminders. And I have found it useful again and again. But Proverbs 1 is particularly poignant. And for one thing, this discourse of Lady Wisdom here serves as an extended metaphor of uh, this key principle, which I believe is found uh, uh, very um, succinctly put in this proverb from chapter 4. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Now what is this saying? Nothing... A value in wisdom is to be gotten without first getting the proper valuing of wisdom. You don't get wisdom without first seeking it, going after it. Only those who value wisdom will get it. This is the sum of the message today in the words of Lady Wisdom. Get wisdom. Whatever else you do, get this. Don't stop. Don't pass go. Don't smell the roses. Don't go into the house to get your cloak. Don't look back. Get wisdom. Well, let's summarize briefly this text, and then we will uh, look more closely into several of its features. But first, uh, our text has three basic sections. At the beginning there, um, in the first two verses, verses 20 and 21, there's a description of Lady Wisdom's activities. Here we see her doing what she always does. She's going out everywhere to find students. She is crying aloud because of the urgency. Most, though, do not heed her warning. To some people, she would sound like a conspiracy theorist. Many would probably regard her as that old crone who never shuts up and keeps spouting craziness. But she continues faithfully to call for students, to call for those who will hear her. In the next section, verses 22 and 23, we see her offering her warnings and reproofs. So we see a little bit of what her message is. And to those who would turn from their error, she offers great help. In theological terms, it says she pours out her spirit on those who would hear her. Here is the promise of Lady Wisdom. That she is truly found by those who look for her. You see, this is not an extended metaphor. This entire discourse is not just some extended metaphor describing uh, mere book learning. Or the, the, the wandering search for wisdom in the world. She is not calling people to go park themselves in the Alexandria Library and just read book after book. Come, find me if you can. This is rather... A covenantal blessing. It is found by all who seek it diligently in faith. In the very next chapter, we read this. This time in the words of a parent to a son. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, listen to this, 
then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. It is the Lord who has covenantally assumed the responsibility to bestow wisdom upon his people. And he does so. If we are willing and if we are diligent in faith to sit at Lady, Lady Wisdom's feet, God will meet us and he will teach us wisdom. But wisdom calls to all the young people in Israel and some listen and many do not. Now the last section, you might have noticed, represents a great change in the tone of Lady Wisdom. She changes her tone. And I want you to notice this, and I believe that this is the crux of this short passage. Verse 24 through 27, I want to read again. This is the urgency in the message. She says, because I have called and you refuse to listen. So now she's reflecting back in time. I called and you refused to listen. I stretched out my hand and no one heeded it. Because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. And this often happens when young people get a little bit older. And if they have been unwise and ungodly and unfaithful in listening to wisdom, their lack of wisdom begins to show and it hurts, sometimes horrifically so. And then they seek to somehow make things right, to turn a corner. It says, verse 28, she says, then they'll call upon me, but they don't become wise. And when trouble comes, they, they look around for help. They try to make sense of their situation. Something has changed. They call upon me, but I will not answer they seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Wisdom, it turns out, has a window of opportunity. A window of opportunity. Wisdom has a deadline that is unknown to people. A deadline that is unknown to people. And for many, many people, by the time they come to realize that they lack wisdom, it's too late. Their disaster has come upon them. I was with my family in Powell's Books in Portland, and we were waiting for someone to come up to the front. It's a massive building, and sometimes collecting people from that can take several days. <laughs> and we were standing at the entrance waiting, and I saw a little book of drawings by a comedian, and I picked it up. And one of the illustrations I thought was particularly insightful. He drew a rocket ship that was about to take off. And along the side of the rocket were the words, adulthood. And lassoed to the rocket was a young man, waving happily, not knowing everything that is about to happen to him. And I thought, that's exactly right. Many young men and women, they do not have the slightest clue what is about to happen to them. All of the challenges, all of the difficulties that they are about to face. Uh, they simply do not have the experience yet 
hopefully for young people, they have gathered wisdom. They have sat at Lady Wisdom's feet and they are prepared. But many are not. They are being launched into a world of temptation and difficulty and trial. And they are unready. And when their disaster comes upon them, they will look around for wisdom quickly and it will not be available to them. Now Proverbs, as you know, was probably designed for people just like this. If you read through these first nine chapters, you see that there is a specific audience in mind. It is the word of God. It is truly profitable for all of us. I mean, you're not all junior high boys, but we're still reading it today. It's profitable for us. And there are many applications of this wisdom to us. But we understand that it was very likely that the original author intended for this to be a book of training young men. Young men. Because, first of all, the sins that are warned against in chapters 1 through 9, um, written and addressed in many places to this unknown son, are things that the son has not yet experienced. The father is warning them these things are coming. Things like violence, sex, poverty through laziness. They're coming. He hasn't experienced them yet. They're coming fast. They're coming fast. And so there is an urgency in Lady Wisdom and the Father's appeals. This is going to happen rather quickly. You need to be prepared. While you are going through it is not the time to learn the wisdom about how to navigate it. Despite the popular notion of wisdom, they're just going to have to go experience it themselves. That's not the biblical pattern. The biblical pattern is to sit at the feet of wise people so that you are prepared when those trials and difficulties come. Now, Lady Wisdom goes on, and she is quite emphatic to give repeated explanation as why she has now allowed these people to go their own way. And I believe the reason in verse 29 is most important. If you look at that, it says, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Did not choose the fear of the Lord. And so I want to step back for a moment and look at who this teacher is. The scripture here calls her a teacher of the fear of the Lord. Wisdom's message is to fear God. To fear God. Those who did not listen to her did not choose that path. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. Or put positively, to listen to her is to listen to words of fear, teaching you to fear God. That's her message. That's her instruction. So, of course, as we read in this discourse, there's not a lot to tell us what all of that is. If you were to pull this discourse out of the scripture and just simply take it, let's learn from Lady Wisdom, you would not have much to go on. There's this urgency in her message. And then there's this reference to the fear of the Lord. But how are we supposed to know? If someone was to want to respond to this message and say, I'll listen to Lady Wisdom, well, where would you Go. Where would you go? Now, the arrangement of this discourse, the placement of it right here, is not accidental. You can't pull this out 
and just put it on your wall and say, that's what we need to know about wisdom. It is placed right here at the beginning of Proverbs for good reason, because it describes the attitude that is necessary to profit from the whole book, the whole book. There are other things that are placed right here at the beginning to tell us what Lady Wisdom is all about. What is going on here? Specifically, three things I want you to see. One we've already referenced. In verse 7, we have one proverb that is pulled out. There's 900 proverbs in the book of Proverbs. One of them is pulled out and placed right at the beginning to tell us what the sum of the whole matter is. That is there in verse 7, this wise saying, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you are going to learn anything, you must learn the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. What is it that the fear of the Lord is? What does Lady Wisdom do with young people? And what do we learn in this book? We learn this. We learn that the things to which normal, human, mortal matters, the, the things of which the people of this world are concerned with, are anxious about, are troubled by, that we are not in the same way to be troubled and anxious by those things. But rather there is something far greater and more pressing, infinitely so, and that is the judgments, the lordship, the sovereignty of your creator. Her job, what she does, and she is very faithful at this, is pointing young people to tremble before their creator. She reminds people that he sees everything. She reminds people that he hears every single word. She reminds people that their thoughts are laid bare before him. And he is as righteous as the heavens are high. That is her job. That's what she does. She's the official reminder of God's lordship. And his weighty and sure judgments. And so if we are going to learn anything in wisdom. We must first learn this. Nothing in this book. There are proverbs in here about economics the tongue, about listening to your parents, about a hundred other topics. None of them, none of them will do us any good if we do not first learn the fear of the Lord. This separates Lady Wisdom, doesn't it? From all that goes under the name Wisdom in our world, especially in the modern secular world, but also in the world of all false religions. Wise men... Wise men are found in philosophy departments. But if they do not have the fear of the Lord, we know that they do not actually have wisdom. There are supposed wise men of other faiths sitting on the tops of mountains. And if you were to climb up there and sit at their feet, well, if they do not begin with the fear of the Lord and his judgments, they are of no profit. They are not wise. They do not know Lady Wisdom. They've not learned from her. However elegant they arrange their words and ideas, however sophisticated their thinking and clear and piercing their insights, 
Their words are less than worthless compared to what you can learn in her school of the fear of God. Now, I want to point you, uh, help you to observe two other things right here at the beginning of Proverbs 1 that teach us about the school of Lady Wisdom. Right before this discourse, there is another appeal. Verses 8 to 19 are an appeal from a parent to a son regarding uh, avoiding the gain that comes from violence. This too, this too is the work of Lady Wisdom. Parental instruction and discipline. When a young person says amen to the good training of their parents, however imperfect they are, they are sitting at the feet of Lady Wisdom. In the discourses that follow, chapters 1 through 9, there is a back and forth between a father's voice, who is continually reminding his son of the mother too, and her doctrine. And then over to Lady Wisdom, and then back to the Father, and then over to Lady Wisdom, and then back to the Father. Children, what is the message here? Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, that it may go well with you, that you will live long in the land. Wisdom is found in the teaching of parents, even imperfect ones. When you listen to your parents' instruction, when you listen to your parents' doctrine, when you humble yourself before them, Lady Wisdom speaks through them and calls people to the fear of the Lord. And the third thing I would have you note about Lady Wisdom and her school is this. She teaches in wise sayings. This should seem obvious to us. She's placed here at the beginning of a book of wise sayings. Sayings, we call them Proverbs. You cannot separate her from this book. It's no use. We don't pull this book apart and say, I like what this says. I don't find these quite as useful, but this part is very helpful. This is the preface. This, is, this first chapter prefaces a book, as I said, of 900 wise sayings. So if we sit at the feet of this woman in chapters 1 through 9, but we do not listen carefully and make use of these 900 sayings, we are not listening to Lady Wisdom. She is pointing to these things over here. That is what this book is about. Wise sayings. As it says later in the, or it says right there at the beginning of the book, this is the book to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. And listen to this. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. This is primarily a book of wise sayings. They were not uncommon in the ancient world. You go to Egypt, to Mesopotamia, to uh, the Ugarites had books of wise sayings. The Jews outside of the book of Proverbs also collected other books of wise sayings. Uh, Benjamin Franklin made a book of wise sayings. They're found all over the place. As I said, there's approximately 900 wise sayings here, de depending on how you divide them up exactly. 
And we see that these are given to us to teach us uh, by faith, to teach us discernment and wise dealing. They give us guidance as we go to them and read them. They give us insight so that we can make wise decisions. But I just want to note this. And this is really important. And we often just kind of in, in our modern world, our educational system, our culture, we have a way of, of, of thinking about these things that is kind of like just baked into what we do. Here is the thing that I want to say to us. We don't use them very well. We make the book of Proverbs, I'm trusting, a part of our yearly reading, something we ought to do. We read the the scripture uh, in church, but we don't frequently use these wise sayings. Because we come from a culture, at least here in the Pacific Northwest, that's not particularly known for education through wise sayings. But they are sayings. They're made to be used. And I hope you read them frequently. And I know that many Christian schools, and I hope that the Christian school that's starting here makes use of the book of Proverbs. But we often, even in those things, I, I once was an administrator in a Christian school, and we spent a lot of time working with the wise sayings. And I think that we probably memorized about 20 of them, effectively, or 30 of them. It was, there's 900 of them. We have a treasure chest of wisdom given to us by God be used. We need to use them. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 uh, drives this point home. Literally, it says this, Besides being wise, the preacher, who we take to be Solomon, also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. Okay, Children, you know what a goad is? Okay, It's this thing that's used to prod and move animals along. They are given by one shepherd. I'm sorry, there's an re- end of that sentence. They're, the words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The Proverbs are designed to be goads and nails firmly fixed. They are to prod you on to good works. It's what they are supposed to do. You encounter a situation in life. You see some, something happening out there in the world, some behavior. One of your brothers doing something foolish, perhaps. And here is a word that comes to mind that you've learned at the feet of Lady Wisdom. And it directs you how to think about that, how not to repeat that, how to move in a different direction, perhaps. They are goads to move you into righteousness. Then the second part of the verse, they're nails firmly fixed. It's supposed to be like a nail. The teacher takes a saying and hammers it into the youth, and it's stuck there. They're useful like that. They're terse, compact. 
You can pack a lot of ethical teaching into a wise saying. Let me give you an example. My children, um, I found when we were when they were very very young, and we wanted them to clean up. We have two choices. Okay, one thing we can do is we can sit and we can dialogue with them, or we can teach them, or we can lecture them. Guys, you need to clean up. Okay, because it's important to clean up. And if we don't clean up, and if we leave our mess, it's just going to keep building up. And so we've got to clean up. We've got to do this. Okay? Or you can grab a hold of a wise saying. And all of the teaching can be nailed in right there. It, it does, it's a very elegant tool. Okay? So what I would say with my children is I would say leave it and they would all finish better than you found it. And instantly they know. They remember all of that instruction about cleanliness and why we have to keep working at this. And when we leave places, we leave it better than we found it. It's a nail. It's what they're used for. When I was uh, that school administrator, we would begin our assemblies every day, saying, reciting about ten wise sayings. We did it in a particular way. I would call out the first part of the wise saying, and they would complete it. But like I said, we probably did this with about 30, maybe 40 wise sayings. They were very useful. They became ethics that floated around the school. You could call young people to account very quickly. They were powerful and useful. But again, we have been given a treasure of 900 of them. And I don't believe that we even know what to do with all of these things. I think in the next 300 years... Christian schools are going to have to learn and study much more how, how to uh, improve their curriculum with the Proverbs. This is what we have done and are doing with the Psalms. We're recovering them. All through the Middle Ages, there was a monastic uh, uh, group of people that sang the Psalms from cover to cover every single week. It's an important part. But that was, the, that was the monastic community. Okay? Then, during the time of the Reformation, they tried to apply that principle across the board to the churches. They created books of prayer that people could read. Read through the Psalms regularly. They began to sing the Psalms um, comprehensively in church. We have, in the last hundred years fallen back away from that. And that's part of the reason for the loss of our strength. In denominations like the CREC, that is being recovered. The Psalms are a source of strength for God's people. They direct us. They guide us. We have recovered this. Okay? And when I was growing up, I grew up in just a simple evangelical church, um, a four-square church, and we sang very, very few of the Psalms. We did even less with the book of Proverbs. We didn't know what to do with most of the prophets, and we didn't know what to do with most of the law. We just simply didn't do much with it. And I always thought the book of Revelation must not be meant to be understood, because here, as I thought, at the end of the world, we still don't know what it is. So maybe sometime in eternity, God will tell us what it was supposed to mean, but we don't know what it is, and so that just must be the way things are supposed to be. We understand Paul's epistles and some places in the Gospels. We understand these things. But Proverbs, Psalms, Prophets, Law, we don't know what to do with those things. And so they just sit there. 
We don't make use of them. But that's not what we are supposed to do. The word of God was given for our instruction comprehensively. And this is a book of learning wisdom for training children that we don't use very much. We don't use very much. And if we want our children to grow up, to be faithful, to be staunch in the faith, solid, we need to make much, much more use of this book than we do. Don't try to memorize all 900 Proverbs. I don't want anyone to go home and say, we're doing it. We're doing it. I mean, that would be awesome. But start with five. Start with five. And don't just memorize them, Awana style. Use them. Use them. Fill your house with them. Make them sayings in your household. Use them. They are meant to be on your lips. As it says in Proverbs 22, again, re-emphasizing what was taught there in Ecclesiastes. Same thing. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. Apply your heart to my knowledge. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you. Now I think that's something that we do. Or we're doing. We're trying to memorize them. We're trying to learn them. We read them. We incline our understanding to them. But look at what he says. The next line. Uh, Let me go back. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips. That's what they're for. That's what they're for. Look what it says after that. That your trust may be in the Lord. That your trust may be in the Lord. That's what they're for. To be on your lips. So that you have an answer. When confronted with something. That you, that the, the, the words would come out of you. You would respond faithfully. I think that our hands are so full of other things. We are preoccupied with other matters. We don't take much time to listen to Lady Wisdom and make use of her teachings because we're preoccupied with calculus and physics. And I think those are very, very good things. But they are not more pressing than wisdom. I know that might sound controversial, but it shouldn't be for God's people. This should be core. Christian instruction. But our focus is elsewhere. Our hands are full of good things. Calculus is a wonderful blessing. If you've flown in an airplane recently, praise God for calculus. It's a blessing. But this is what we are given to train our children. As it says in Ecclesiastes, beware of anything beyond the words of the wise. And the collected sayings, of the making of books there is no end. And much study is a weariness to the flesh. And if that was true in the Iron Age, how much more now? So we need to consider that more closely. But I want to look briefly at the character of those people here because that is much the substance of this discourse. The character of those people who miss window of wisdom's opportunity. They miss the window. Most of the ink in this little speech is spent describing the condition of these people. 
at the beginning of this discourse, she's calling out to people. She's calling out to people. She does not use flattering terms. These people who are yet untrained, whom she's calling to come to her, she calls simple. This is a frequent term in the book of Proverbs. People yet untrained in wisdom. They lack powers of discernment and judgment. And here is her warning to these. They can become complacent easily in their simplicity. They do not easily recognize the danger of simplicity. And that's her warning to them. Come out of your simplicity. She says to them, how long will you love being simple? You see, it's a condition of danger. It's no way to live. It leads, like gravity, draws a stream to the ocean into greater and greater folly. If you remain in your simplicity, it will not go well with you. But her audience is not merely simple. There's more going on here. She also calls her initial audience scoffers. And more than that, they are scoffers who delight in their scoffing and, quote, fools who hate knowledge. To all these people, she offers them this wisdom. She calls it her reproof. A term implying that this initial, she is standing at the city gates saying, listen, receive my reproof. It's what I offer you. It's not going well with you. You're on a trajectory somewhere. You need to stop. You've got to turn from this. Already they're going astray. You see, it's not, a, it's not a state of neutrality that Lady Wisdom finds her pupils, but one of nascent and growing folly. In a word, Lady Wisdom is a good Augustinian teacher, a good Calvinistic teacher. She assumes and knows that there is a sinful nature a sinful bent in her pupils. They need reproof from the beginning. She's no romantic, Rousseauian educator who believes that her audience is really good at heart. She knows that the work of education is going to be a lot of hard plowing and discipline. As it says in Proverbs 22, folly is bound up in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Bound up in the heart of a child. It's already in there. It's already in there. We're born with corrupt trajectory. It has to be corrected. But if they don't receive her reproof, if they reject Lady Wisdom, and they reach that season, that unspecified season, where she begins to mock them, they scramble for answers. She's not to be found. Look at how she describes them. For emphasis, the repetition, she mocks them because, verse 24, they refuse to listen. Refuse to listen. And again in verse 24, she mocks them because they do not take the hand of wisdom. Verse 29, they hate knowledge. So she mocks them. We've already read verse 29. They do not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of wisdom's counsel. They'd have none of it. Verse 30. 
They despised wisdom's reproof. Being reproved is not a fun experience. As all of us know, it's hard to receive this type of correction. It's hard to bend a tree, right? But it's impossible to do once it's full grown. They despise reproof. They turn away, verse 32. Literally, they apostatize. It is the Hebrew word for apostasy, turning away. In verse 32, again, they are complacent. And that one, I would note especially, complacency. They are like lemmings, whistling as they go. They're like giggling oxen being led to slaughter. They truly don't realize what's coming. And they don't care. They're complacent. We are fine. We are fine. It is interesting. There's a contrast that's set up. It's a different word, but it's same meaning. The complacency of fools. In verse 32, these people are at ease. They are at ease in their folly. Lady Wisdom is mocking them. They are at ease in their folly. But notice, those who have sat at Lady Wisdom's feet, verse 33, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease. So they both have a complacency. The one has a complacency that comes from covenantal blessing and security. They are like trees planted by streams of living water that bear fruit in their season. These people complacency, the, the fools who did not listen to Lady Wisdom, well, that is what destroys them. They ought not to be complacent. And as I thought about this, I wondered, why are we like this? This is an exceedingly common condition. It was common in Solomon's day. It's still common in our own day and age to become complacent in folly. She says herself, I called and you refused to listen. I stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. No one has heeded. Emphatically, Lady Wisdom does not have many pupils. Even among the covenant community there in Solomon's day. And you get this idea of her yelling and calling and warning and warning. But crowds of people just walk right by paying her no mind. So I try to understand this. In my thinking, I came up with four fallacies of judgment that have contributed to these people walking headlong into destruction, complacent in their folly. I'm sure there's more reasons why. But here's four things I think can impact young people. And help them to tell lies to themselves. These are almost like scripts that people tell to themselves so they don't have to listen to Lady Folly. The first I call, quote, the herd knows what it's doing fallacy. The herd knows what it's doing fallacy. Many young people do not listen to Lady Wisdom because they look around and they see a herd of people not paying attention. 
Surely this many people can't be wrong, they reason. And they are wrong. (laughs) That many people can be wrong. Wisdom, we know, is not found in the herd. She cries out to these people, then they look at her, and then they look at the crowd, and they look back at her. And the idea is just too much for them. Really? Can all of these people be wrong and she be right? That's The herd knows what it's doing fallacy. Be aware of that. But there's another related error in thinking and judgment. I call it the people ahead of me turned out all right fallacy. The people ahead of me turned out all right fallacy. This is the error in judgment that comes not from looking at the herd right around you, but from looking at those uh, evaluating a wisdomless life, people just ahead of us. They made money. They seem pretty happy. They own a home and have 2.5 kids. What's the problem? If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. And she cries out to these people, and they point to what the American therapeutic culture calls normal and high-functioning. These are people who are well-adjusted. They're doing fine. What could she possibly have to say? Her reproofs don't seem to match, because they're not listening to her reproofs, and they have a BMW. So there are all sorts of species of this. LeBron James likes Sprite. He seems to be doing okay. There's other errors. Another error is one that I call wisdom just happens as you age fallacy. The wisdom just happens as you age fallacy. This is the error of thinking wisdom is natural and it's a part of growing up. Growing up. Now it's true that experience is a part of aging. It is true that among the wise, they grow wiser as they age. But what people do not realize is that there are millions and millions of old fools who know nothing of the fear of the Lord. What the world calls wisdom probably uh, can come just by, this is how they reason, it can come just by staying alive and being somewhat aware and thoughtful. But that, however, is not the lesson of Lady Wisdom and the fear of the Lord. She cries out to these people, and they say back to her, I will get to you in time. This takes time, after all, they say. We could go on. I just add one more fallacy. I call it the my education is wisdom fallacy. My education is wisdom fallacy. I went to school, I read books, I studied math and science, I get good scores. Friends, the educational system, as we've already noted, in our country is not grounded in the fear of the Lord, let alone the collections of wise sayings and discourses and wise uh, writings in our scriptures. People hold up their diplomas and degrees and accolades and they call it wisdom. 
Well, I'm not sure Lady Wisdom is very impressed with all of these things. She cries out to these people, but they point to their test scores and keep walking. They point to their admission to Ivy League schools and keep walking. Well, these are just some of the reasons why I believe people have no ear for Lady Wisdom. But ultimately, it is just simply this. It's unbelief, isn't it? It's unbelief. Unbelief can take hold of whatever fallacies are around it to suppress the knowledge of God, to push away Lady Wisdom. But ultimately, at the source of this, it's just simply unbelief. Unbelief. We do not trust God that his way is best. But thanks be to God, we have been ushered into Lady Wisdom's school as Christians. As Christians. Lady Wisdom is, after all, the most Christian lady. Christians, wisdom is found in church. Lady Wisdom is here among us. No follower of Christ can, ne- can neglect Lady Wisdom, for in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the one, it says in Matthew 12, greater than Solomon. Greater than Solomon. He is the one whose wise, saying have, wise sayings have risen above all, whose parables show that he not only sat in the school of Lady Wisdom as a child, but was in fact wisdom incarnate. Indeed, the Latin word used to translate proverb in both the Septuagint and the Vulgate, chapter 1, verse 6, is the word parabolum. A parable showing us that in Matthew 13, when it says Jesus, mind you, that's right after the saying where Jesus says someone greater than Solomon is here. It says in the very next couple of verses, he began to open his mouth and taught parables. That is exactly the word that is used to translate the word proverb in verse 6 of the first chapter. Showing that he is very much of the school of Lady Wisdom and of the spirit of Lady Wisdom. Now, by the way, I have to say this because of the arch heresy of our time, which is that we don't need to listen to the Old Testament. We're a New Testament folk. The Old Testament was written for Old Testament folk. And we have something better, but... My friends, that is a complete misunderstanding of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, according to the New Testament, according to the apostles, according to Christ, it was written for our instruction, finds its fulfillment. We don't put it away. We simply understand it better, in a better light. We have more use of it, even in Christ Do not set the teachings of Christ, the parables of Christ, the Proverbs of Christ over against the Proverbs of Solomon. For they are all, they all belong to Christ. They are all a part of his instruction to us. But Lady Wisdom was calling out in the ministry of Christ itself. And I think that I'm going to end with this. Remember that Jesus was teaching around the year 30 A.D., And around the year 30 A.D., he, grabbing 
the spirit and, and the teachings of Lady Wisdom call to his own generation, much the same as he calls to us, in warnings, in warnings, you do not know the time of my coming, he said to them. There were those who came and gathered around him, and he says he opened his mouth with parables, proverbs to teach these people. And those were hard sayings that require meditation and thoughtfulness and reflection and pursuit. And those who had ears to hear pressed into him and went forward to him and said, teach us more, help us to understand these things. Because we see in you the words of eternal life. We have no other teacher. We recognize something completely different in you and trust that you are the Messiah. So he opened his sayings to them and their faith became permanent and strong. Their wisdom began to grow. But there were others those days who heard the wise sayings and like the children that Lady Wisdom called to, they just went, nah. Got no time for this. Got no time for this. Maybe I'll pay attention to this later. All these people don't seem to be too impressed with it. Pharisees don't seem to be going along with this. Must not be that important. If it is important, we'll find out later. We'll find out later. They would find out later. Because these people would find themselves in just 40 years. Just a few decades later, they would not follow his teaching. And as he taught them, when you see the armies gathered around Jerusalem, you need to flee. And that's exactly what happened. And there were undoubtedly many, many thousands and thousands of people who recalled Jesus' teaching there in Jerusalem, who panicked, who looked around for wisdom's help, but she was not there. They had rejected her. And now they mocked, now she mocked them. As it says in Proverbs 1, the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Friends, this is, this is a story that Lady Wisdom has told again and again and again throughout Old Testament history and even on through into church history. And it happens even here in 2022. The wicked will be cut off from the land. The treacherous will be rooted out of it. There are those who will not listen to Lady Wisdom, who have plugged their ears. The only safe course for us is to follow Lady Wisdom, especially as she is known and understood in the person of our Lord Jesus. The simple, the scoffers, their ears are stopped up. They neglect him to their own doom. When terror strikes them like a storm and calamity comes like a whirlwind, they will seek for help, but they will find none. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Amen? Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.